Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to live with anticipation and expectation. Amen. It couldn't have been easy to be the mother of God. And poor Joseph, I mean, his only qualification other than his faith was that he was also of the house and the lineage of David. The fifth commandment says that we are to honor our father and mother. And each year around Father's Day and Mother's Day, someone tells me their story, how hard it is for them to honor someone who wasn't there, who abandoned them, or who made terrible mistakes. And if they ask me why they should honor someone who wasn't perfect, the only answer I have is because they gave you your life. Mary and Joseph have only been parents for eight days when they head to Jerusalem for the rite of purification and the circumcision of Jesus. They run into two elderly people who seem to have been waiting for this exact moment their whole lives. Old Simeon scoops up the baby Jesus and starts singing, which is great until he gets to that last line, looks straight into Mary's face and says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Every mother knows what he's talking about. I mean, what kind of prophecy is that? Of course her soul is going to be pierced. It will be pierced every day because, well, she's a mom. The first bruised knee, the first time he throws up, when he's old enough to see the injustices of both the church and society, the broken hearts, the mean words from other children and adults, the day his father dies. But there was something about Jesus that was even more piercing for Mary. Like when he fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. Imagine if your kid went 40 days without eating. The time he was on top of the temple and the devil was daring him to jump. When somebody said, hey Jesus, your mom's here. And Jesus' response was, who are my mother and my brothers? Whoever does God's will is my real brother and sister and mother. Oh, and don't forget the day that his neighbors tried to throw him off a cliff. Most moms don't have to deal with that kind of heart piercing. If you add this to the whole having to travel all the way to Bethlehem in order to satisfy a government decree when she was nine months pregnant, the whole no room in the inn thing, magi from the east showing up with strange yet prophetic gifts, having to flee Egypt to Egypt in the middle of the night because King Herod wants to kill her baby. And by the way, it's really hard to hide the baby Jesus when there's that giant star pointing straight down at him wherever they go. And even when things finally got normal for a few years, and they took a family vacation to Jerusalem about the time of Jesus' bar mitzvah, and then they accidentally leave him behind. And they go back, and they're searching everywhere. And finally, they find him playing 20 questions with the priests in the temple. And Jesus turns to him and says, you should have known that I would have been in my father's house. And of course, he's not talking about Joseph. It couldn't have been easy to be the mother of God. You know, when the powers that be sit down to create our lectionary, those are the various lessons that we read every Sunday, uh, there is a purpose. They create a three-year cycle through the life of Jesus using all four Gospels, and then they supplement it with Old Testament and epistle lessons in order to support the weekly theme. So what's today's theme? What are we supposed to get out of this? This is another one of those tiny slivers of truth that God reveals to Mary and to us so that we can know Jesus really is the one that we've been waiting for. 
While the world has moved on to Valentine's Day, we have a chance to stop and reflect on what happened on Christmas, and more importantly, why it happened. Christmas worship, well, just like the secular holiday, is often over-sentimentalized. Churches tend to put their best foot forward, polish the silverware, put out the good china. And you would expect this. After all, it is God's Son that's being born. But it's also quite possible with everything going on and all of the extra things that we miss out on the whole point of Christmas from a theological perspective. I was thinking about Mary and Joseph and how for the first years of Jesus' life, they never really had the chance to just be parents. There, were, uh, there was always something going on, somebody chasing them, somebody that they had to worry about. Do you think they were ever overwhelmed as they looked down on this tiny little baby and realized he was God in the flesh? I mean, do you think they second-guessed themselves and their parenting ability? Have you ever second-guessed yourself when it comes to what you should do with Jesus? I mean, you don't have to change his diaper or burp him or feed him, but you do have to carry him around in your heart. You may not have to flee to Egypt or head back to your ancestral home so that Caesar can tax you more, but I know all of us have left him behind at one point or another. Mary and Joseph are faithful. They are very religious parents. They want to do what is right, which, by the way, is harder than it sounds when you throw in strange mixtures of dreams and angel visitors and churchy traditions that have been handed down for thousands of years. The whole reason they went to Jerusalem was because the law required Mary to make a sacrifice for purification, and Jesus had to be circumcised. Do you see how their life was anything but their own? Do you spend much time thinking about all the churchy traditions that have been handed down? Things like baptism, confirmation, offering, Sunday worship, Bible study, potlucks, work days, plus all of the secret handshakes and passwords that are used on Sundays that are different from one church to the other. How do each of those traditions actually play out in your personal life of faith? Mary and Joseph's calling was to get Jesus all grown up so that he could save the world which is a little different from us getting our kids grown up so they can get a job and get married and have kids of their own. Jesus still needed to know, though, how everything worked. I mean, he may have been God, but he chose to learn things the same way that we have to learn them and the way that our children have to learn them. And it was Mary and Joseph's job to teach him. So how do you teach people the things that they need to know? starting with your family and then the people at work and anybody else that you have to help instruct in the ways of the world. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells us, I need you to go and make disciples of all nations. And then he says, teach them everything that I have commanded you. And by the way, that's not just a commandment to pastors and teachers. That's a commandment to every person who's a believer. How are we supposed to do that? In Romans 10, it says, well, how can they believe in the one they haven't heard about? And how can they hear without someone telling them? And how can anyone tell someone unless they are sent? See, that's what Christmas is all about. You and I are officially sent to tell the good news of Jesus. A mom and dad's calling is to share with their child or children everything that they need to know in order to grow up. All the way back to the Garden of Eden when Cain asked, you know, am I really my brother's keeper? We have struggled with how far our responsibility goes to our children, our family, 
and to others. Jesus continued the conversation in the parable of the Good Samaritan, where if we're paying attention, it turns out that everyone, no matter where they are, are our neighbors. Mr. Rogers could have told us that. In Hebrews 2, it says, For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers, and all parenthetically, and, and sisters. It is not only hard to be the mother of God, but it is also hard to be the brothers and sisters of God, to hear what he says, to watch what he does, and to know that we're supposed to be just like him. If you had a sibling, you know what sibling rivalry is. How are we supposed to be as good as Jesus? I don't doubt Mary and Joseph had moments where they were overwhelmed and afraid of their responsibility. I mean, how do you raise God's child, who is God himself? What if you mess up? What if you forget something? What if you do something wrong? I mean, it's one thing to worry about messing up one life. <laughs> but if they mess up Jesus' life, they could doom the entire world. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. When a family brings their child to the baptismal font, I understand that there can be some anxiety. Most do it because it's what their parents did for them. Oh, they might remember Matthew 28, 19 or confirmation, or they might remember somebody saying, have you had your kid done yet? But in the end, they're probably still wondering, so exactly what does baptism do? What happens when the water gets poured over the child's head and the pastor says, I baptize you in? Does the child stop crying? Is he supposed to behave better? Is he going to grow up to become a doctor, to discover the cure for cancer and diabetes and all the other maladies of the world? No, the truth, the very simple truth of baptism is that it removes the one thing that would limit the child's life to just his or her years in this world, limit his or her dreams and possibilities to just a single lifetime. You see, where the child goes and what the child does is going to be determined by a million factors beginning with his or her parents. But them knowing they are not only the child of John and Elsie, as I was, but also a child of God and a brother and sister of Jesus, that they are forgiven and loved, that they are unique and unreproducible, that allows them to step up and live a life that makes a difference, even if mistakes are made by their parents and themselves along the way. Jeremiah 29 says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah reminds us that God isn't out to get us. He's actually here to help us and to love us, especially in those anxious and overwhelming times. All we really need is God's promise. But the water and the words at baptism are his wake of making it just a little more tangible to us because there's something there, something more than just a spoken word. When people ask what the purpose of prayer is, in its simplest and best, it is nothing more and certainly nothing less than knowing that someone who cares is listening and wants the best for you. In their listening, they give you the opportunity to see beyond yourself, beyond your limitations, and even beyond your own fears. God made a promise to you at your baptism, and he's going to keep it. Simeon and Anna waited their whole life to see the promise that God made to them. But by the way, when you are waiting on God, you don't miss anything because every moment is filled with the presence of God 
and the opportunity in order to make a difference. In other words, while we're waiting, we don't just sit around staring at the ceiling. We actually discover that there are things that we can do with who we are and what we have to make a difference. I grew up in the 60s where Elvis Presley would be working on a car or touring people around Hawaii in a helicopter or running a Ferris uh, Ferris wheel at the state fair or even dressed up in an army, army uniform and suddenly there was a guitar in his hand and a full backup band and he would start singing. That's why it's no surprise to me when Simeon scoops up the baby Jesus out of Mary or Joseph's arms and starts singing. Yeah, it's just like all those 60s musicals. I don't know if the angel sang backup or if Anna sang a discount. Maybe Mary played bass, Joseph the drums, but I'm sure that everyone around them stopped and listened to what old Simeon was singing. And a few were probably a little concerned when he ended by telling Mary, the sword It's going to pierce your own heart, too. It's easy to get swept up in the beauty of Simeon's song. He sings about God's salvation coming to the Jew and also to the Gentile. Just like Isaiah promised, he sings about the light overcoming the darkness. I mean, those are amazing things that, let's face it, all of us want to hear and need to hear. There were those who came to the temple just because it's what you do to pretend to be religious, even if you don't care for the church all that much. But there were also those, like Simeon and Anna, who had been waiting their entire life for this moment, the moment where God fulfills His promise and brings the Savior, their Savior, not just into the world, but into their arms and lives. When light and life were made known to those who had been waiting for God, as a sermon I give it four stars especially for its brevity. The crowd probably just thought old Isaiah was Jesus' grandpa, all proud and happy because his grandson had been circumcised. And I don't doubt that Simeon's excitement was infectious, just like in all those old Elvis movies where everybody in the background began swaying and dancing along. You know, there is one particular painting of this event that I love, and I know the painter wasn't there, but as he imagined it, He's got old Simeon holding up the baby Jesus and singing his song. And there is this twinkle in his eye and his face is filled with awe. But if you look closer, you also discovered that there's a couple of tears coming out of Simeon's eyes. It's the tears that we need to pay attention to. Over the past 10 years, we've had a number of folks I went to visit who said, Pastor, I don't know why I'm still here. I am ready to go home to be with Jesus. Every time I called my dad, that's how he started the conversation. Mitchie, I, I don't know why I'm here. I'm ready to go home. Being ready to die is different than God being ready to welcome you home. In Simeon's case, God promised him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. We call it the nunc dimittis, which is translated, now send away, or now send me away. I don't know how much longer old Simeon lived, but I know his life was no more different after he held the baby Jesus than it was before. See, when you're waiting on God, it doesn't matter what you are waiting for. You are not going to miss anything. The tears aren't a sadness, just an acceptance of what is both the good and the bad. 
33 years later, Mary locked eyes with the boy she once nursed, tickled, sang to sleep. Only this time her little boy was nailed to a cross and dying a gruesome death. After six hours, they took him off the cross, but not before they ran a sword up his side and into his heart to make sure that he was actually dead. Mary was not the first, nor would she be the last mother to hold the broken body of her child in her arms. She was not the first, nor would she be the last to weep in the company of mothers as they stumble their way to an open grave. And somewhere in this, his questions and interviews as he began to write his gospel, St. Luke connected old Simeon's prophecy with this moment at the cross and the tomb. The cross is a complicated, frightening thing. The God of the universe experienced the same suffering as his creation. Right down to those moments when God seemed so far away. Because of the cross, we are connected to God through suffering. Because of the cross, we can never say that God does not understand our suffering or the piercings of our heart. This is God's promise to us as we begin our baptismal journey on this earth. It was not easy to be the mother of God. It's not easy to be his brothers and sisters. And yet we are able to live our lives in the promise of the nunc dimittis. Now send us away, Father, to wherever we must go, to whatever we must do, with maybe a tear in our eyes, but also joy and light beaming from us. You see, because of the cross and the resurrection, we know that when it is all said and done, God will gather us up into his arms and take us home to heaven forever. Until that time, we get to live in anticipation and expectation of all the things that God has laid out before us. Because you see, when God makes a promise, he never breaks it. And that means we get to live our life to its fullness, knowing that we have a God who understands knowing that we have brothers and sisters who are walking alongside us and that we have a Jesus who because of his life, his death, and his resurrection are waiting to welcome us home. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.